This is Mark Geals with Mark on Money. We're going to talk about being your own worst enemy today. And now, live from the heart of Sioux City, Mark on Money with your host, Mark Geals. The key is having a plan in place, knowing what you're going to do, a place where your retirement questions are answered. You could be putting tens of thousands in jeopardy. You'll get the latest news on 401ks and retirement planning. It can make a profound difference with what you can and can't afford in retirement. If you've got questions on how to properly structure your assets and build retirement income, you're in the right place. Welcome in to Mark on Money. Hey, welcome in, everybody. This is Mark on Money with Mark Gills. Mark is a certified financial planner. He's a fiduciary and independent. He's been helping folks for eh, about 30 years, a little better than 30 years. EFS Wealth Management's where you find him. EFS, the number four, the letter U.com. I encourage you to check out that website. Uh, hey, Mark, what's happening? Not too much. You know, just uh, we're going to talk about some interesting things about how we can be self-sabotaging. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's very, I mean, it's easier <laughs> It's easy. Well, it's an easy thing to do. And, and I think, you know, when it comes to retirement, it's it's got to start with obviously money, but also how, you know, the budget. And, and I know a lot of people think it's a bad word, but it really isn't. Well, and I think a lot of people, they hate the word budget. Right. Um, and, you know, we've got a great solution for people. Um, and every now and then, I run across people that are already doing this, and it just amazes me because I want to learn, you know, where they where they heard about this. But this is something I was teaching 30 years ago, uh, and it was something that maybe even, you know, your parents, you know, did or grandparents did a long time ago um, before electronic bank transfers and that kind of thing was that they had a jar that, you know, they put, you know, two dollars in or five dollars in every paycheck you know for christmas you know so it was the christmas fund sure um but what i tell people is is i hate budgeting and i don't think you have to i think you need to do one thing and one thing only and everything else takes care of itself and that one thing is is you need to set aside money for the irregular expenses that don't occur every month and those are the things that you need to take care of. And, there, and there's not that many of them usually. Usually you can break that down into maybe five or six categories. And they're fairly easy uh, to take care of. And, uh, and then you, you, you set aside, you know, for, exa for example, property taxes. So property taxes come due twice a year. Or maybe you pay them once a year. Um, well, you just figure out what that property tax amount is going to be, and then you set it aside into a separate account. Uh, if you have uh, car insurance, you know, or maybe long-term care insurance or, or life insurance premiums that come due, you know, once a year or twice a year, you set that money aside into a separate account. Um, you set aside for clothing. You set aside for birthdays, Christmas, anniversary gifts, etc., X amount of dollars that you're going to spend uh, set aside for household expenses, you know, so think of uh, refrigerator, water heater, air conditioner, furnace, you know, those things that are unexpected, um, but wear out and eventually need to be replaced at some point, um, you know, driveways, you know, just household repairs, 
and set aside that money into a separate account because that's what blows up a budget. All of a sudden, you know, and it's Murphy's Law, you know, the refrigerator goes out and then the microwave goes out and then the furnace quits and it all happens in the same month, right? Right, always. Yep. And, you know, so people are like, oh, geez, now what am I going to do? Well, I got to put money on my credit card or, you know, I got to, you know, maybe the furnace company gives you, you know, a loan and you got a loan that you got to pay back on because you didn't, you know, it was something that was going to happen eventually, but you just didn't, you just didn't set money aside for it. And so maybe at that point, you've got to go into another account or you've got to liquidate money from your investment portfolio and it's and the markets are down 20% it's not really the best timing to do that but if you've set aside money for all those irregular expenses including vacation fund so if you want to travel and you and you want to put it you know you want to spend you know $1000 a month or $12000 a year in vacations you don't go on vacation every month you might go on vacation a couple times a year. Well, a lot of times what happens is I, I ask people, are you going on vacation? You try, oh, no, because, you know, the furnace broke. So we had money set aside for vacation and we had to do that. And then we got to repair the driveway. And then, then the kids needed money. And then Christmas. And it's always something that, that, that interferes with them having to actually accumulate money to save for vacations or the car breaks down or whatever it is. Well, if you have money set aside in that vacation fund and all of those other regular expenses, you're you're always going to have that money there. And the beautiful thing is, is once you set money aside for all those unexpected, irregular expenses that don't occur all the time, whatever's in your checking account, you can spend it all because you don't ever have to worry about all of these other things and running out of money. You literally can spend everything that's in your checking account. And that way you know, here's what we can spend per month on different things, leisure, you know, food, you know, whatever, you know. Right. And uh, it, it, it takes care of itself. So that's how you don't budget is you just set money aside for those irregular things. So you don't budget, but you budget. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, different, yeah, but it's, just a it's real sim- different way of looking at it. Yeah, but it's sure. simpler. You oh, know? it is. So just it's very like, simple. Just like, you know, your grandparents did it by uh, putting money into, you know, a coffee can, you know, for the Christmas fund. You can do it now electronically, and you can set up at your bank, you know, a half a dozen accounts and automatically transfer money into it every month. Right. And and then you have to adjust it. So if, if the fund ha- doesn't have enough money in it and you have to deplete it well, because of something that comes up, well, then you got to look at that and maybe you weren't just saving enough money into it. Okay. Well, and again, the, the automatic payments, I mean, that could be another thing we can talk about here uh, because I, I tell you what, I would be lost if I didn't have all of that stuff set up automatically. I know what's coming out and when, I and mean, I know when that money's coming out. So it's, I mean, again, it's it's super easy. Right. And, and, you know, there's a lot of other things people self-sabotage. And, and one of the biggest ones, I think, is not knowing, you know, n- thinking they know something and they don't. And, <laughs> okay. And, yeah. And I hear that all the time. And, um, you know, a, a big one is, well, Social Security is going broke. You know, we talk a lot about Social sure, Security on this yes. show. And, and uh, people, don't, people need to understand that. That's impossible. Social Security literally cannot go broke. Um, because it is a self-funded account. Um, 
all the money that's getting paid into it right now, 100% of that money goes straight out the door. So whatever's coming in is going straight out the door. The only way Social Security would run out of money is if nobody was paying into it. In other words, we had 100% unemployment. Nobody had a job because all of the workers are who's paying into Social Security. And the the thing that people hear and you know say well social security is going broke is because there's a lot of stuff out there you know the headlines you know why would anybody read a headline that says yeah social security is never going to run out of money or you know it's all clickbait you know people you know want to put up um headlines that people are going to click on the article to read and so they they exaggerate it of course um, and social security um, because of that, people are like, well, you know, Social Security is not going to run out of money, so I'm going to take my Social Security as early as I can. And, and here's where this is self-sabotaging um, because, you know, people think that, yes, taking Social Security early is a good idea, but here's the reality. 73%, so the, I think this is a pretty good statistic, uh, maybe it changes by a couple percent every year, but 73% of people that are going into retirement or who are in retirement, their number one concern is running out of money. Oh, sure. I would say that's a. I would say it's higher than that. Yeah, but it's, it's still the number one concern. I don't of know course what, what it is. percent of it's 73 or 78 or 80 or whatever it is. But here's the here's the thing that I share with people. Now let's let's look at reality here. Um, because the reality is, is if you're afraid of running out of money in retirement, um, and, and the reason why you're drawing Social Security early is because you want to make sure you get your money because you might die early. My point there is, is that's not, um, that, that's not a good thinking way to think. Because if you die early in retirement, you won't run out of money. It won't be a big deal. It really won't. So dying early in retirement... Uh, solves a lot of a lot of potential issues. It's living a long time that creates those problems where you really need to worry about. Yes, do I enough have enough money to retire on if I live to be in my nineties? You know, not if I die when I'm you know seventy five years old or eighty. Right. But what happens if I live for another couple more decades and I'm not healthy and I want to do stuff, but but. And so by taking Social Security early, it's really self-sabotaging because if you're afraid of running out of money in retirement, you should delay Social Security as long as you can because that is a huge backstop. And the amount of money in Social Security from 62 to 70, your income or the amount of money that you're getting back from Social Security in terms of monthly income almost doubles. You know, so if you're going to get fifteen hundred at sixty-two, you're probably going to get close to three thousand a month at age seventy. Um, yeah, you you might have to work a little bit longer, or maybe you know you, you've got to work that into you know your retirement plan. But again, it's self-sabotaging to think I'm going to die early, so I'm going to take Social Security. Because the the real problem is, what if you don't? What if you live a long time? Right. Yeah. Well, and again, that's I mean, that's the kind of thing that you talk about with folks every day to to sort of get them to where they need to be when it, when it comes to retirement, right? Right. And and another self-sabotaging thing is is thinking that markets are always going to continue to do what they've done in the past. Um, and you know, you hear that. A lot of different things. Oh, you know, history repeats itself. Markets follow the same pattern. 
Um, well, yeah, but they follow the same pattern, but that pattern might have been a pattern that repeated itself every 50 years. And so, you know, if you're 65, do you have 50 years uh, to, <laughs> nope. to basically say, well, hey, the markets are going to follow the same pattern. So, you know, I don't have to worry about things or, you know, the, you know, this pattern is, is, well, no, it's, it's, it's not about, it's not about that. So that's self-sabotaging because you have to have a strategy that works in retirement in terms of distribu distribution of income. And what worked in the past, what worked in the 90s, what worked 10 years ago, does not mean that's going to work today. So you've got to really take a look at what is the best way for me to distribute money. We've got a great solution. Um, we use what's called time-segmented distribution. It takes into account those kinds of things that we talk about, emotions, taxes, market volatility. And you can go to our website at EFS, the number four, the letter U, and take a look at it. So I encourage you to take a look at that and, and learn about that because it helps to avoid that self-sabotaging mentality that really can blow up your retirement by simply, you know, not really looking at what markets can do. And remember, we as human beings are wired to fail as investors, you know, so you've really got to understand that the emotional part and, and the primitive part of our brain uh, is really wired against us to succeed. You How know, so? immediate gratification, emotional response, fight or flight. Um, those those types of of things are hardwired into us and and are not are not changeable. They are understandable, and it helps to be able to work with somebody that says, you know, let's reframe this. Why are you reacting this way? While well, you're reacting this way, uh, because of the fact the way your brain is wired, I'm reacting the same way. But I have it written down that says you, you're reacting this way because your brain is telling you to do this and it's wrong because, you know, it's, you know, there wasn't anything such as money in the past. You know, this is, you know, money in retirement, you know, is a relatively new thing in society. Yeah, in the scheme of things, it is. Yeah. And so we're, we're just not set up to, to successfully uh, navigate it, um, at least from a mind primitive fight or flight emotional standpoint so we have to think from a really different mindset to get that done well the behavioral finance and i know that's an area that's of interest to you and you and you know quite a lot about it uh, obviously what that's what you're talking about here and and it's it's really a fascinating topic to yeah, say and, that, that, that really is how we are right and yeah I've, I've studied it i've learned about it I understand myself because I've taken a self-assessment. I'm a behavioral financial analyst. I have a degree in that or a designation in that, I should say. Um, but I've spent many years, and I and you know, after doing this for 30 years, you know, you you can see the reactions, you can see what happens, you can see the predictions of what is going to happen by people doing certain things mm -hmm. that you know that it's that it's not. Uh, you know, it's not framed correctly. And so you just have to step back and, and basically act as a counselor. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting, you know, Vanguard did a study and that Vanguard study, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, but I believe the Vanguard study said that uh, investors that work with an advisor on average earn two to 3% more in returns than those that do not. Right, that's exactly right. 
Yep. And and it's and again, so we're talking about behavior. It's not that those advisors are smarter, you know, or are better stock pickers or whatever than the individual investors, but it's usually that they are the ones that are the calm in the storm and help people from making mistakes because it's the mistakes that cost people um, money. Um, too aggressive, too conservative, over concentration, no strategy. Um, you know, being able to talk to somebody and have that person, you know, not just a phone call to, um, you know, a advisor that's that you've never met with, but a phone call to an advisor who knows you, knows who you are, knows what your personality is, uh, has worked with you for a long time and knows how you react to different things and can say, well, you know, you know, Steve, you know, we've, we've been through this before, remember? And, and, you know, why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? Uh, Cause we've talked about this. Let's, let's take a step back and uh, let's look at what we really had talked about, you know, last time when, um, you know, things were different than what mm -hmm. they are in this environment. And let, let's take a look at this. And that's the conversation advisor has. And that's why the return percentages uh, are, are different. Well, um, and it's also why you build, I mean, it's a relationship with an advisor, especially when it comes to getting, you know, into that financial red zone and, and getting close to retirement. You need that relationship. And it's very good that you understand, you know, what we do as people, but then also as just as a client, it's, it's, it, there's, it's comforting to know that you've been there, you've done this, you really can help. Yeah. And, it, and it's about, you know, working with someone who's holistic too, you know, Understanding the difference between an advisor who's acting as a salesperson, um, because everybody's an advisor. Of course. Okay? Of course. You know, that's, that's just the, the term anymore. It used to be, I'm a financial planner. Well, that, that kind of, you know, that, that term, you, you know, has kind of gone by the wayside, I think. Now everybody's a, you know, a private wealth manager or an advisor or, you know, some whatever other collection of words it. that sounds impressive. Yeah, and so yeah, <laughs> some, yeah, whatever you make up, whatever title you can and make it sound impressive. Exactly, but what does that really mean? Um, and you know, holistic, you know, or comprehensive, or what the term financial planning really encompassed was a total look at all aspects that involve your money, um, including behavioral finance because that has an impact on performance and returns and, and money as well. So you're looking at taxes, estate planning, budgeting, cash flow, you know, investments, distributions, accumulations, um, and tying all those pieces together. So when you look for that professional advice, um, you know, you have to understand and, and ask those questions to the advisor, you know, do you do these things? You know, do you do uh, tax planning with my accountant you know do you do estate planning you know with an attorney um, or do you do them as a standalone you know do you have a tax practice as part of your firm um, some advisory firms do some advisory firms encompass all three of those things in addition to financial planning and income and accumulation uh, so you've just got to ask those questions and and Make sure that you're working with someone who 
is doing those things and not just focused on one area. Um, that's 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 the advice today. Well, and again, so I seek, think, seek I think professional it's good. advice, but yeah, seek professional advice. But security is offered through Securities American, something that FINRA someone who not only does those things, but does them in a highly objective, registered manner. Advisor, EFS helps you to complete companies devoid of emotion. Any comments regarding safety? That's how I will leave it with you. For only to fixed insurance products, and again, you know, you can contact me. You can email me, Mark at EFSreview.com. Visit our website, EFSreview.com. Lots of great material on there. Um, and, you know, Coach P. Radio. I hope you got something out of this podcast today, and thank you for listening.